We're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You, have you ever been to a great funeral? I, I know that sounds weird. And I'll say to people sometime, if I didn't get to go to one and I knew they had one in their family, I'll come up and say, how was the funeral? And that just seems kind of morbid, doesn't it? How was the funeral? Well, what's the funeral supposed to be like? But, but have you been to a good funeral, a funeral that... that uh, that you walked away from going either, that's exactly who it was, and I, I appreciate honoring them, or, or, or that's exactly who they were, and I wish I had known them, if you didn't know them very well. A, a good funeral. It, it's possible. I, 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 I think about this because what we are doing in this passage is we are attending a funeral, a private funeral ceremony between the one who died but not dead yet, and the one who he wants to talk to to replace him. He, he wants to inspire Timothy. And so Paul says, let me, let me share with you, Timothy, what is going to be said at my funeral. And you're like, why do you want to do that? And it's to inspire him. You ever been to an inspiring funeral? Paul is talking to one who's walking the same steps that Paul is walking. It's going to end likely the same way it's going to end for Paul. And that's a very sobering thought. You've got Timothy who, when Paul left him at Ephesus, was in tears. What's he going to be like when he hears that Paul's dead? How's that going to affect him? Especially when Paul wants Timothy to basically pick up where Paul leaves off. How is he going to get him to do that? All the way through this letter, he's just trying to encourage him to keep up the life of ministry and one of the ways he does it in this text is that he preaches his own funeral with Timothy there to listen to it hoping it inspires him I've been to funerals that inspire me and probably one of the best was Mac Ramsey's earlier this year we lose him suddenly we still miss him we're going to miss him for a long time but I walked away from Mac's funeral feeling a couple different ways. One, I feel gypped. I heard all these people talk about they got a handwritten letter from him with a $2 bill in it. And I have three or four of his handwritten letters to me, and he never put a $2 bill in it. And I'm like, what gives, Mac? Am I not worth it, right? That's not really the... Really what I felt was this. I was looking forward to years of discovering who Mac was, and at the funeral, I learned what I didn't know yet. I didn't realize the impact of this man on so many people, how he made people feel, what he did to inspire people to be faithful, and to hear, to see the multitudes of people bearing witness, and then to hear his three children do such a beautiful job of describing a life well lived. And I found myself going, I got gypped. I was looking forward to many years of tapping into who Mac was, and I missed it all. God, you gypped us, right, by letting him go. But the other thing it made me feel was inspired. I, I guess I think of the Facebook uh, post that one of the boys put on there showing his desk where all the cards are and the postage stamps and the two dollar bills which I never got one uh, but but as, as he sat at that desk and he prayed for people and he thought about people and he wrote to people and he called people 
And these people remember him doing these things. And I'm, as I walked away, I go, do I make people feel that way? And what can I do in my life to make people feel more like that from me? It's an inspiring thing, a thing that says it makes me want to be better. And, and, and that's what the impact of Mac's funeral was on me. And I think that Paul is hoping that when he preaches his own funeral here in the hearing of Timothy, he'll feel that way. He'll walk away going, I, no holds barred. I'm going to walk that same path. I want the same thing said about me. And so here's the first thing that's kind of like the death announcement, you want to call it? He says to Timothy, he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. A drink offering. This is Jewish language, something way back in the Old Testament. And it's not even just in the Old Testament. It's kind of obscurely in the Old Testament. You don't get this to Leviticus and Numbers a little bit after the major sacrifices are described. But what would happen is when you offered an animal on the altar, you killed it and the blood drained out of it. And sometimes you burn the whole animal and all that stuff. But along with that animal, you gave a drink offering to make it a complete meal offering to God. So as the animal was burning, you'd pour out wine upon that altar, pour it out, representing like blood. You'd pour it out, and it would join with that animal sacrifice, and it'd make the smoke and the smell, and it would lift up, and God says, that's my meal. There's my food and my drink, and it's a sweet smelling. It made God, it made God go, wow, I'm going to savor that sacrifice. And Paul says, that's me. I'm not the main sacrifice, but I'm a side sacrifice, and I'm pouring out my blood, my life for God. My departure is close. There's a couple of famous drink offering experiences in Scripture. One of them, you just, you didn't just offer, you just observed. This is Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 22. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave him. said, this is my body which is given for you. This is the main sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's the body of Jesus. But notice what he says when he takes up the cup. He took the cup, and when he had, after they had eaten, it said, this cup is poured out for you. The new covenant in my blood. It's poured out. Jesus is pouring out his life to God for us. That's how he is a drink offering for sinners. We just remembered that a few moment ago, moments ago when you drank that fruit of the vine. But there's another one. This one is, maybe you don't remember it as well, but it's kind of famous, sort of, when David is describing his mighty men of valor who fight for him. And this is what he says in 2 Samuel. Next screen. Yeah, David was then, sorry, in the stronghold. So he was on the run. He was living away from home, and he's far away from home, and he's very isolated. He's very sentimental. He's longing for home. He's in this stronghold, the garrison of the Philistines, and he was at Bethlehem. It was then at Bethlehem, and David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem by the gate. I remember those summers when it was hot, and I took that water from that well, and I drank it, and that's home. That's home. Oh, I wish that I had it. So guess what? These mighty men, three mighty men, broke through the camp of the Philistines, went through the enemy camp, drew water out of the well at Bethlehem, got a cup of water, and somehow without spilling it, 
They got it through the battle, through the battle lines again. They bring it to David and they proudly present it to their king to say, look, we heard your wish and your longing, and so we brought you water from the well at Bethlehem. And what does David do? He wouldn't drink it. He poured it out. If I'm those three guys, I'm like, what in the world? This water is precious. And there's only one person who deserves to drink it. And that's God. And so he pours out the sacrifice these three made to indicate just how valuable God was to them. Paul is saying to Timothy, using this Old Testament image, that he is giving up his life. He is allowing his blood to be drained out in service to God. And he's doing it voluntarily chart kind of shows exactly kind of shows what it is here's the drink offering of jesus it was needed by humanity for the forgiveness of our sins we had to have perfect sinless human blood voluntarily offered to god to cleanse our sin we couldn't offer our own it doesn't qualify it was needed by us it was offered to god by Jesus himself, and that's the only chance you have for atonement. And we've just honored that a moment ago. We've just remembered it. Paul, in a small way, says, I've, I've modeled my Savior. They need my effort all the way to the point of my death. The church needs me, and God's called me to this. The church needs me to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. I'm going to offer it to God, right, for people, but I'm going to offer it by me. And so I'm offering my life as a drink offering for others to God. He was willing. He signed on for it, and he was fine with that. Here's a question. As you walk away from this part of his funeral... Here's a question to ask yourself. Are you okay with being poured out in selfless service for the benefit of other people in the name of God? Do you have things in your life that aren't for you? They aren't done for you. They aren't for you. They don't benefit you. But you allow your life to be poured out to some extent to benefit someone else, and you do it because you are a servant of God. Is there anything like that in your life? Or is it just all about me? And I've got to like it, I've got to want it, it's got to benefit me, or I won't do it at all. Our lives are to be lived sacrificially. And that's what Paul says. Then comes the eulogy, or what became the epitaph, what was written on his gravestone maybe, because these lines are perfect. And in the Greek text, you get this a little better than you do in the English, not because of some the meaning of words, but the Greek would emphasize things by word order in a sentence. Like when you're reading a word, you look it up in the dictionary, and there's that accent mark on a certain part of the word which tells you it's to be pronounced this way, which nearly all Southern Americans like us don't observe very well, right? We kind of ignore but the, the Greek says it this way, these three lines in verse 7. The fight, the good fight, I have fought. Paul does not say, I fought the good fight like I'm a valiant fighter. He says, the good fight is what I have fought. 
I look back on my life and I realize that I chose the right fight to fight because we are going to be in a fight. That's the Christian life. If you are going to live your life by principles, you're going to have to fight against other principles that are offered, right? Paul says, I come to the end of my life and I realize I chose the good fight to fight. There are many people, when they reach the end of their life, they realize they fought the wrong fight. I fought to be the richest person or to have the most, the most fame or the most acceptance or the most popularity anywhere. And I fought for that and I did everything necessary to make sure that I was that. And when I get to the end of my life, I realize, whoops, that wasn't the best fight to fight. Paul says, no, the one I chose is the good fight. If you live your life as a Christian, it will be characterized as a fight. That's the way all New Testament writers describe it. Why do they describe it as a fight? Because if you're going to live by God's way, it's going to go against the majority of the world. And Paul will bear witness to this. He was contested at every turn. He had opposition every time he tried to live for the gospel. It's just the way it is. And you have to fight if you're going to really stay in the Christian life. Now, here's some questions for you. What relationships am I fighting to keep? Am I fighting to keep my relationship with my wife or my husband strong because that's the relationship that I have a covenant before God to honor? Is that the relationship I'm honoring above all other things? Am I doing that right? Secondly, you'd say, what events, what things am I willing to fight to keep in my schedule? What are the things when there's other options I fight to keep this central? Do we find ourselves too easily giving up the meeting of the saints? Do I find myself too easily dismissing this way of life because everybody's living this way and it's going to get the popularity and it's going to get, I'm going to be able to go, but, but to honor God, I've got to fight really hard to keep this way of life the way I live. Are you fighting that? Because so many times, People will get to the end of their life and realize, I built a great company, or I built a great life, or I built a great bank account. I'm not going to take any of it with me. And there they are on their deathbed going, man, I put all that effort into a fight that's not the good fight. Paul's not second-guessing himself. Paul's saying, the good fight, that's the one I fought. He's saying, secondly, the race, I made it. To the end. There's something about this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you, what number is lower than the other? This is the number of people who confessed the name of Jesus and were baptized. That's the number on this side. On this side is the number of people who are gonna enter into eternal life with God in heaven. Remember, this is the number of people who start the race of faith. This is the number of people who finish it. Which number is greater? Is this one greater? Hold up your hand if you think this number is greater. It is! There's a whole lot more people who start than who finish. 
By the time you get over here, the number has dwindled quite significantly. Now the question is, what happened between there and here that makes this number lower? Why don't they make it to the end? Why are so many people who maybe their names are signed to the wall back there, back here when they're baptized, why is, why is that not the same number on the book of life? Somewhere between here and here, they get distracted. Somewhere between there and here, they take detours. They just get disillusioned, and for some reason they give up. And Paul says, not only did I fight the right fight, but I finished it. I went all the way to the end. Can you say the same thing? Are you determined in your life that I'm going to make it all the way to that end, and I'm not going to let myself second-guess myself or talk myself out of this way? I'm not going to, I'm not going to get, let myself go off-road and, and create my own path. I'm going to finish that race. All the way to the end. Paul did. And he had every reason. He had every reason in the middle of that, somewhere around here, to say, forget all this. This race is too hard. I'm trying too much. I'm giving up too much. I'm whatever. There are so many reasons why he could have quit. He didn't. I made it all the way to the end. You're not asked to win. You're asked to finish. And then the third thing he says. The faith, I've kept it. You know why it's important, the order he put this in? He's not talking about, I've kept my faithfulness. He's saying, I kept the content of the faith I was given. I kept, God gave me the gospel. God gave it to me to preach. He gave it to me to defend, to fight for, to embody, to live out, and to hand on in its purest form to the next generation. And I did not compromise, and I did not water it down, and I didn't decide to make it a hybrid faith. There's lots of people making the faith a hybrid faith. Yeah, they're going to quote scriptures, and they're going to add it to the philosophy of the day, and they're going to add the own behaviors that they want, and they're going to use scripture to endorse what they really want that matches their passions. That's what we said last week. Many people try to Bible endorse a lot of things, but it's not faithfully the faith. They're altering it. They're watering it down, and they're accommodating it to what they want to already do. And Paul's saying, I've kept that faith intact. The same faith that saved me is the faith I'm dying with, and I'm handling it to you, Timothy, the same exact faith. And we as the church have no right to change things and alter things to make it easier or to accommodate the world, to make the world feel comfortable here. We do not have that right. We have been given the faith, we protect the faith, we defend the faith, and we hand it on just as we received it. The faith once delivered for all to the saints, Jude 3. Paul says as he gets the end of this, I chose the right life, I made it to the end of that life, and I did it all with the same faith God gave me, and I didn't change a thing. No hybrid faith here. Now, if I'm doing a funeral today, I take these three things right here and I use Paul's life illustrations, 2 Corinthians 12 and other places, and I illustrate how Paul did all that. But I'm not going to do that because the sermon would be longer and you know all that anyway. So is it okay if I shorten it by not doing the funeral? 
Oh, come on, y'all. I'm giving you a chance to shorten this thing by 10 minutes. So, is it okay if I don't flesh this out? Yeah, okay. So, so those are the three points of his eulogy right there. Question. Will that be said of you when the race is done for you? Have you chosen the right fight? Are you going to make it to the end? Because this world's going to offer you so many lesser paths. And are you going to keep the faith God gave you and be faithful to it rather than making it endorse you? That leads to the last thing Paul wants to do, and he wants to tell us that while he's staring at the blade of the guy who's going to take his head, he's looking beyond the, bla the blade to the future, and unlike most people of his time, there was a future beyond their death, and he knew what it was. And so he says in verse 8, I've got something to anticipate. That's the word for this week for everybody here, anticipate. This is where you start building up this hope. You know what's coming next Sunday. You got Christmas. You got those gifts, the, 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 the tree and all that stuff, and you know it's coming. And the most important part of the season is this right here, that anticipation and that excitement that builds. And Paul says, I've got something. Yes, I'm dying. Yes, I've got very little time to live, but I'm still focused on what's ahead. Because for Christians, there's always the best ahead, Right? Right? Um, here's what one guy said one time recently at a Harding lecture. Christians aren't buried. Christians are planted. You know the difference? Christians aren't buried. Christians are planted. Because something's going to come up from here. New life. And here's how he says it. This is the actual Word order in the Greek, and I want you to, because we're going to make a point out of this. Henceforth, after this, over yonder, if you like yonder, henceforth there is laid up for me the righteousness. Henceforth is laid up for me the righteousness, a crown which the Lord will award me on that day, and also to all those who long for his appearing. You're not, I don't think, going to get a crown to put on your head to wear throughout eternity. I don't think you're going to get some kind of physical crown. But he is going to crown you with the righteousness. You know, he's made us righteous through Christ. You're righteous already, but you're not fully righteous. You get a taste of it. You get a taste of it like walking through Sam's and that little lady at that little booth gives you a little taste of what you could have if you bought this product. And you say, well, that's good, but that's not very satisfying because I really want more. I know you want more, which is why you're supposed to buy the box. And so what God is saying, I'm giving you a little taste of righteousness right now. But when that day comes, he's going to give you all of it. Every bit of the righteousness you've longed for, you are going to be sin-free, sin-proof, and sinless. You are going to be fully like God. You're going to see him as he is with your own equipped eyes, and you're going to be like him, John says. You're going you're to have a perfect fellowship in line with him and everybody else, and we're never going to depart, and everything's going to be exactly like it's supposed to be. You're going to be perfect, and everything, everything is going to be right, and nothing that's wrong or amiss is even allowed there, and you are going to fully be who God intended you to be. Anybody ready? 
Oh, come on, anybody ready? Yeah, that's right, because that's what Paul's saying. That's what I'm looking for on the other side of this. Bring on the blade, baby, bring it on, because that's on the other side. When you have that future, what's death? When you have that future, where is, O oh, death, is your sting? Where, O oh, grave, is your victory? At his funeral that he has privately with Timothy in print, this death's coming, it's okay. I've lived for God, and these three things, these, this is fight I've fought, and the race I've finished, and the faith I've kept. And now I know what's ahead. And he wants Timothy to hear that and want that so bad that he'll do nothing to alter the course he's on. He won't give up when things get frustrated. He won't, he won't shrivel up and go backwards when he faces opposition because it's going to come. Paul knows it. I was so inspired when I heard Mac's funeral. I wanted to be a better person to make sure that where Mac ends up and the way Mac lived to get there is more and more like what I want. It invested me with more desire to do that. And when Paul wants Timothy, wants Timothy to hear this funeral, he wants him to feel the same way. I'm pretty sure that it worked. And here's why. Now this is going to be for some of you who were raised years ago. You're going to hear that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I don't think that's even possible. But Final Jeopardy a few weeks ago said that Paul wrote uh, Hebrews, which is, they're not my source of authority, right? Hebrews was written after Paul was dead. And there's this line in Hebrews 13. I appeal to you, brother. It's a sermon, right? It's a sermon, but it was also written. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know then that our brother Timothy has been released. Timothy never was in prison while Paul was alive. But after Paul died, did Timothy stay with the faith? Apparently so, enough to follow Paul into prison. Prison didn't cause him to back down. That timidity you're worried about, that Paul may be worried about in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, that, that little that thing after writing this letter and after seeing how Paul died and hearing the hope that Paul has, even in the midst of his death, Timothy takes it in and says, there ain't nothing that's going to keep me from walking this path. I'm going to follow exactly like Paul did. And it sent him straight to prison. And somehow he gets out and the brothers just can't wait until this, whoever wrote Hebrews and Timothy comes to see him. Timothy was emboldened. And I want you to be emboldened about what you know about your faith. Yes, you're going to pay for it. Yes, there's going to be consequences and sufferings and opposition and challenges. Yes, but none of that can taint what you're going to get for living the life of faith. Nothing can do that. Timothy was willing to know all that and suffer for it, just like his mentor Paul did. And my question for you is, are you... I heard a guy talk about this the other day. Christians, preachers whining about COVID. 
whining and whining about how hard it is and COVID. And he says, I want you to envision this. I want you to envision yourself in heaven with Daniel. And Daniel facing the lion's den. And I want you to say all those Christians who were filleted alive and cut in half. And I want you to hear their stories. And then I want you to go, it was so hard during COVID. Suffer a little bit, Christians. Make sure when you go, you've poured out your life in service to God. Make sure you go that the fight you fought in your life was the good fight, and it was worth fighting. Make sure you fight it to the end. Make sure you keep the faith, and you will know all along the way in every facet of that, henceforth, there's something amazing beyond that, the full righteousness of God that he's been giving us a taste of all our lives, and its fullness is going to be realized in such a way that you'll take it and you'll go, nothing I suffered is worth comparing to this. And may it drive you to do whatever it takes to live that way. Like Timothy, like Paul, you've attended the funeral. I hope it's inspired you. If it's inspired you enough to respond and take on the life of Christ, this morning it's available to you as we stand and as we sing.